You know who else is proud of you? Who? Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Pixel It. I was like, I think this might be. I think I might. This might be a good one. Yes, almost had me. Jesus, it was the one set of footsteps on the page in the beach because he was carrying you right as you wrote it. As I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was, he, it was he was he was responsible for all. Of this, he was responsible. For my story. Uh, he gave you the coffee when you needed coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He turned his blood into the wine. back rub. He turned his blood mm-hmm. into wine, yeah. <laughs> which I need more frequently than most. Let's face facts. Uh, this is my worst intro ever. Um, <laughs> Anyway, on the show today, we got John Shirley, uh, author, John Shirley. author of Bioshock Rapture. Uh, he is on and we spoke to him. It was a lovely conversation. It was with, terrific. With, uh, with a guy that has a heck of a pedigree. Dude, this guy's resume, like he just he was just casually dropping people he's worked with, like William Gibson and Harlan Frank Ellison. Herbert and all that stuff. and. Harlan Els- yeah, just just this, Ursula this man K. has had a Ursula career. K. Le Guin is, you know. Yeah. It 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 makes one it it really does make it, I think the problem with being a writer, Kevin, and doing the interviews of the people that we interview is that these are not lazy writers. These are people who come out with a book every four or five months they, sometimes. Their their passion is just writing. It is that they get up and, and they write and as yeah, that's what they do. And as, as we're going to find out in this interview, uh, 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 Mr. Shirley has been a freelance writer. Uh, that is how he has paid his bills uh, for all of his adult life. So yeah. this guy knows his way around. He's worked for some amazing franchises, including a few of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure to have him on. Yeah, so uh, let's let's go ahead and, and take a listen. Yeah, come on, come on. How did I do that? <laughs> you, did you get the book I sent you? The, uh, Absolutely. I think one I love you- the idea. By the way, I think that's such a cool setting with the uh, the climate change setup. Stormland. Yeah. I th- I'm really looking forward to reading this. That, yeah. it just well, the concept fantastic. is is just you know in a in a uh, nutshell a a place in you in the United States where uh, there are huge storms, uh, hurricane level storms going twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year, sure. for year after year, in in the near future as a result of of climate change extremes. So. Could it happen? Well, I found ways to, to rationalize that it could happen. Scientifically, maybe not quite so bad as I have it, but it makes a great metaphor. And, th- mm-hmm. and that ties in kind of a parallel uh, to Bioshock. Bioshock sure. is a, an environment created to be a great metaphor for, um, as, as well as a place for adventure, of course, uh, for, for the playing out of these ideas socio sociological ideas and uh so is um uh stormland that's yeah about the only thing they have in common but uh, <laughs> but it's uh but it's 
my thing is set in the future and in our sure. future and his thing is a kind of alternate history or something. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, so, anyways, that's what Stormland is. And it's, and uh, it's waiting. I'm, we're waiting to see if it's going to become a television series. There's, there's oh, interest in it. That's and, fantastic. But that's awesome. Uh, apparently Bioshock is going to become a Netflix series. Is that so? I, I, I've heard in the past, talks rumblings about that kind of it was it came out and uh it was announced in february that they were going that way and netflix takes a lot of chances spends a lot of money they um yeah i think it's i could really see it being a good either mini series or or uh, a series probably probably developed from like the very first days of rapture yeah yeah and then and then you you watch the thing fall apart and then you, you, you see all, all the, uh, the little sisters and all these other bizarre oh, yeah. permutations come into it. And, yeah, uh, I would guess they're doing something like that, but um, they might on the other hand, be following the story time timeline in the, from the games for the first sure. shot. Right. Yeah. Cause but there's I'm, a lot of- I'm really into watching it. I'm going to try it out. I, I think it, yeah, make a fabulous looking thing you know oh uh, it would be gorgeous or television the neon and the art deco and and all the yes and just all the you know the world outside and uh, there's just so much you could do with it um uh, it's It's a very claustrophobic play with yeah yeah oh absolutely well let's uh let's start from the beginning then uh you know we we uh we know of your resume uh, uh and we hope that our audience does too but just in case tell us tell us about your early work where'd you begin well um as it i probably first started publishing in underground publications uh in the uh in the 70s um you know this was like the vietnam war and everything and and we were all reacting to it. And uh, I put my first fiction in some of these things that were little allegorical set pieces um, and also nonfiction pieces. And I published a, a magazine of my own and the, it was just obscure stuff, you know. There was a whole culture of these long before the internet. Um, we just did everything by the mail and and sometimes through head shops. You you're, ask your parents what head shops are if you don't know. <laughs> You know, the shops where hippies went we to know. buy paraphernalia. <laughs> and they're the fathers I, I, of our contemporary places where you where people, you know, buy weird designer drugs and sure. And and you know, all just elaborate glass pipes and so on. But in those days they also had uh, underground magazines and newspapers and so then I started out uh, getting confidence there and um I went to the Clarion Writers Workshop, and my teachers were people like Frank Herbert, who was oh, wow. the creator of Dune, it, the, yeah. uh, the novelist uh, who wrote Dune, and um, he he, uh, he uh, mentioned that he had had in fact taken uh, magic mushrooms, and that <laughs> did in, that did influence some some of his creation of the Bene Gesserit, and. He uh, <laughs> was there, and Ursula Le Guin was there. Oh wow! And Harlan Ellison was there, uh, and um, Robert Silverberg. These are all well-known people in science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and um, there were some editors, and uh, 
it was just a great environment for six weeks. Every week you had a different teacher. So you, you would submit stories and, and Frank Herbert would read your story, you know, and Harlan Ellis would wow. read your story. And then they and the, and the other students would all kind of workshop it. And that was a big growing thing for me. And I, that's where I learned to be tough. But I also got a lot of encouragement from them. Ellison yeah. helped get me uh, published. And, and I can uh, only imagine that if you're going to get tough under any writer, it would have to be Harlan Ellison. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, he could be. <laughs> He, yeah, he, uh, he did, he, he did encourage me. He sent one of my stories to an anthology editor and the guy took it. And that was my first paying genre publication. And, uh, I was, uh, after that, I, I started submitting novels and I sold paperback novels and, I had, I only had a jobs for a short time in my adult life. I was a typist at a newspaper and, um, did some stuff like that. But, and I went to a few years of college, uh, and worked around the college, but I, I mostly have been a freelance writer for uh, all of my adult life and, uh, in television and in, in books and movies. Uh, I wrote the crow, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, whenever there's a sequel to that, I get paid and, uh, and I wrote a, a lot of uh, books adapting um, franchises, like right. you know, uh, uh, Bioshock. I wrote that, uh, and that was followed up by uh, uh, yeah, Borderlands books based on that video mm -hmm. game. I wrote three yeah. of those. Um, those sold pretty well. And Bioshock is actually probably my best selling thing. It really has sold well and still in print and around the world, the Bioshock Rapture. Yeah. I have a novel called Demons that sold very well. And, and it's about giant demons invading the earth. And how do you deal with that? <laughs> um, and uh, it's still around. Um, and that also was, that was optioned by uh, Dimension Pictures and they were, they had a script and a director, and then the the recession came, uh, uh, and they yeah. uh, blew off about seventy five percent of their projects. I, they paid me fairly well already, but so still, that came close yeah. to being a movie. But there are still people who want to make a movie out of demons, and it might happen. Um, That's awesome. So you know, anyway, went to Clarion, wrote a lot of paperbacks. Um, and then uh, I made connections with uh, a, a really good Hollywood agent because I'm the one who found the comic book, The Crow. And um, I was going to write something kind of like that. And then the, the Caliber Comics said, no, we've got one that's a little too much like that. So I, I bought it, the comic at the store and I said, this looks like a movie. And I took it to a young would-be producer who happened to have friend who knew Edward R. Pressman, um, mm. a famous producer, and he um, he liked the pitch on it, and but especially liked the comic books because it looked like a movie. It's like storyboards. Right. It's already storyboarded. <laughs> James Obar, who created The Crow, was very into movies, and he's a very cinematic comic artist. So uh, we were able to work a deal with Obar and, um, and uh, set it up over there, and I I wrote the first four drafts of that and I share credit with Dave Scow. Um, and that led to 
my getting uh, I, uh, agents and I worked in television. I worked in Deep Space yeah. Nine and uh, various other uh, fantasy and horror things like uh, a poltergeist TV show and so on. Right. I wrote scripts for those and um, I, I wrote a, a lot of animation. Uh, I even sometimes still write some animation. Like a few years ago, I was still on in my spare time writing for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the CGI yeah, the, version. You know, right? Yeah, we yeah, yeah. A, we got an Emmy nomination, and and but we lost to Bob's Burgers. <laughs> well, well, I'm sure I'm sure they they deserved it more than we did. But it was <laughs> it, it, it was fun to it was fun to work on that. Um, yeah, and so awesome. I, I've done all that stuff. Uh, and I wrote a cyberpunk trilogy. I wrote a lot of cyberpunk science fiction and, uh, some, I was one of the original cyberpunk writers with William Gibson and Bruce Sterling. Mm -hmm. Sure. There's a big TV show coming up, adapting Gibson's, um, novel, the peripheral. It's, really? They tried to do neuromancer. It couldn't get that set up, but the, but the peripheral is happening. So check that out because that is real cyberpunk Now a lot of yeah, these absolutely. websites and people who think they know about cyberpunk well it's actually just some comic book you read but yeah, and that, yeah. okay that's fun stuff too but uh if you want to see the real thing you should watch the peripheral when that comes on i forget what channel is doing it at this second time uh was it amazon i think it's amazon um nice. but so uh Gibson and I collaborated on stories and scripts and uh, the scripts didn't get made, although we got paid for them. And this, and we collab collaborated on a story that was in his story collection. And I worked with Bruce Sterling and Rudy Rucker and other cyberpunk writers. And that see if that those connections led me to being a sort of consultant for different things. That's why sure. they should have uh, hired me for cyberpunk 277. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was. No, I, it's an okay game and a little glitchy. Yeah, it's okay. And uh, I, uh, I think they should have. They should have hired a, one of the original cyberpunk. Writers. I agree, one hundred percent. But absolutely. Um, so I, I've written many novels, include uh, of my own, that are just John Shirley novels, uh, including the uh, song called "Youth Cyberpunk Trilogy." Which is still in print from Dover, but uh, my, my, uh, I, I, there was a whole long period there after I moved away from Hollywood, when I um, was looking to keep the cash flowing more, and I got offers to write um, adaptations and uh, for series. I wrote a one for the Grimm television series, mm -hmm. uh, and um, I wrote uh, a. a um, Aliens versus Predators book and an Aliens book uh, and a Predator that's book. Right up, and, that's right and, up Phil's uh, alley. <laughs> yeah, you're talking and, about my favorite uh, yeah. franchise. <laughs> and, um, and a Batman uh, novel um, and uh, a, a bunch of video game related things. Um, so, uh, you know, that led to Bioshock Rapture. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that's where what we're here to talk about uh, mostly, I guess. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think we've got room for for plenty, though. I mean, you've got a you've had such a varied career. I think we we would be remiss if we didn't bring some stuff up there. 
I do and, a lot of stuff. And I yeah. write songs for the Blue Oyster Cult. If you know that band, your dad knows oh. it. Oh, we know. Don't Fear the Reaper. And Absolutely. Don't Fear the Reaper. I didn't yeah. write that song, but I've written <laughs> no. a lot of songs they recorded. They have a new album called uh, The Symbol Remains. It's their first studio album in 20 years. And I, I wrote the five songs on it, including the singles. And it's doing really well. And it's, it's just a really good, good that's album. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a song on it called The Alchemist, which I didn't write, but... Um, it's a great song if you love H.P. Lovecraft because it's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. But the oh, album's awesome. called The Symbol Remains. You can hear the whole album free on YouTube. Ah, that's that's awesome. We'll have to check it out. Um, one of the things you mentioned actually kind of reminded me a little bit of, of uh, something John Carpenter has said uh, when you're talking about uh, uh, the, the sequels to... Um, uh, whenever they, they make a sequel to it or, or what have you, you, you still get a check. Um, and, and John Carpenter has said the same thing with, with Halloween where right. somebody asked him like, so what do you think of the new Halloween movies? And he, he said, uh, every time they make one, I open my mailbox and there's a big check in it. <laughs> so he likes it. It's so he likes, likes it. those new movies. But that, <laughs> that's the, that's the upside. And I don't blame that's him for upside. basically <laughs> adhering to that. That's how I feel about the Crow sequels too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. So what was the process like for, um, so since you've done a bunch of novelizations, uh, uh from, uh, video game, uh, film, uh, was there anything different in in uh, doing a adaptation of of a comic book to a screenplay that you would say that that uh, you felt? You mean in, in adapting uh, like Bioshock Rapture to a novel? Yeah, you're comparing that to doing a screenplay. Sure. Uh, like, yeah, adapting like, like a comic book to a screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well yeah, 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 pretty different. Um, yeah. I mean, it's almost the opposite. It's like the inverse because you're you're sort of working working from scripts when you you adapt a a, a video game because they are right. scripted. <clears throat> yep. You know, not the sets, the set, uh, the the scenes. You know, the set pieces, the sure <clears throat> the cut scenes uh, are scripted. And but also there's in a in a game like Bioshock, very elaborate uh, story and plot. And, and it can be experienced from different angles, which is one of Levine's fascinations. He likes to give you lots of choices and experience things from different places. I think he had a lot to do with the development of the popularity of these big uh, playground style games that yeah. we have now, these big sandboxes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but even, even when you go off on, on one branch or another, those are scripted to and and they they did give me some of the scripts for things and they gave me a lot of material to go with as well as of course i played the game um there was a kind of bible of the game and when they when when you you uh are adapting something you always want that bible of course you don't want to run right. afoul of their canons you want you want to be uh uh, faithful to the, these basics that are part of the franchise that are, uh, you know, uh, so that so that you're not contradicting the game. Even even though uh, in any adaptation I do, there's there's room for a lot of um, creativity and 
fleshing out. I did a, a move, some movies. Like I did a, I did a, an act, um, a novelization of the movie about Doom, speaking of video games, and one uh, for the movie Constantine, the Keanu Reeves film. And, I, you know, I was a, there, the, this, the scripts left a lot of unanswered questions. So right. I was able to uh, fill, uh, uh, to answer those questions and, and to, to fill out all those things that hadn't been um uh, uh, you know, offered in, in right. the movie. Uh, yeah. And they'll let you do that up to a point. Although sure. if they're thinking of sequels, they're very careful that you d don't step on anything. Um, and sometimes they might even, I can't think of an example right now, but sometimes they might take something from your novelization and use it in a sequel, which is okay because sure. they're buying all rights for that. It's their right. property, right. essentially, you know, um, well, it's entirely their property. They, <laughs> Usually, the writer gets paid only a a a, uh, a flat fee rather than mm -hmm. royalties for these things. Right, right. So um, that's just something you accept, and um, but they give you a good flat fee. So uh, <laughs> you know you, you go along with that, and one gig leads to another. So it is it is uh, kind of like the inverse of adapting um a script to a, a novel for example it's more uh, or a novel to a a script or anything like that. it's more it's more like being you know working it is has a lot in common with working with uh television or movies because mm -hmm. there's this sort of committee environment where you have to you have to have meetings with groups of people uh at the time they were they were phone meetings usually sometimes right. if you're around you can go in in person but usually i mean i never met ken levine we just talked on the phone right right um so uh, there there's that feeling about it like you're you're almost developing something um like developing a movie except that's a novel sure and then there's a lot of tension between my creativity which is you know, I, I, I love to bring something more to one of these projects. Um, and of course the, you know, the people, the rules and the parameters set down by the people who created the, the game. Right. And, and there's a lot of back and forth and like, I'm looking to see how far I can go with, with adding something of my own and, and then I'm getting reined in and, right. but it's, that's just that's and you get the same feeling when you're working in a television series for example you you're yeah. constant you're constantly trying to find a place for your own expression within the context of the tv series yeah. uh, canon yeah we uh it was that's funny because it's the same thing that uh bill deets told us uh when he was writing uh one of the halo books for bungie uh they wanted him to just basically write the game and he he basically said no i gotta i gotta put something <laughs> else in here it can't just be beat for beat the game i gotta inject something else and he event he eventually was able to add some interstitial plot elements that aren't in the game at all but yeah i totally understand that <laughs> i wrote a halo novel called broken circle that's right yeah, yeah. you did <laughs> 
We're, we're, um, we're going to be getting to that one. We'll be we're getting to it eventually because we're, we're working through the Halo, <laughs> all the Halo books. <laughs> so uh, that one was different. Uh, I'll just mention briefly uh, from the other ones. I think it's distinct from the other ones. I haven't read them all. I read a couple of them, but um, in that it is from the point of view of aliens and, mm. and um, uh, the hero of the, of the other Halo novels is, is just kind of a legend on, on the periphery, never enters into it. There, there's no human point of view in Halo broken circle at all. And that, oh, that wasn't cool. my preference. They, it was the, I, their idea that I do that. I, you know, and I, I knew it would be harder yeah. uh, because, um, there's, there's not that much established about some of these alien, uh, Sure. Civilizations like their culture, for example, and and how they relate to one another. So I I had to I had to work closely within an experiment to find things that would work, and but eventually it turned into into a really good creative experience where I got to be very imaginative uh, about it. And so my my Halo novel was a little different. Yes, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the and, least. And, and maybe you know i i'm i'm pretty alienated so maybe i was the right guy to do the alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now what about uh when it comes to writing for uh an animated series versus a live action series do you find that there's a, a a lot of difference there i mean you can do more with an animated series right or would you find that it's in about some ways you uh, more in some ways less i mean mm -hmm. there's not really a special effects budget in an animated series exactly that you have to think about i mean if you're writing a science fiction series you have to think about well how much would that cost yeah. right do they yeah. have to do they have to build a model you know um do they have to spend a lot of on cgi for this um and uh and with animation they just have this flat out budget for and they can they can do a whole lot um there's in some animation programs, there's there are rules against having people running at the camera. There's some animation problem with that. And then a few other things like that. I've I've forgotten a lot of them, but I think they got over that now with the with the uh with CGI animation. Uh -huh. um, but there, you know, um it's uh, with on the other hand, um uh, with with live action, you can usually get a grittier and there. I mean, there is some pretty. There is now some pretty gritty and raunchy uh, animation out there. Yeah, and, oh, sure. Um, there's plans for a new show. Mm, I'm not allowed to say. I might be writing it, but <laughs> I'm not allowed to say yet because it's right up it, against that NDA wall. <laughs> it is yeah, right. Exactly. The NDA wall. Yes. Uh, NDA wall. Yes non-disclosure but i it's based on a philip dick novel and so it's pretty it's pretty raunchy and gritty um but and and that's some of that is beginning to happen more and more in mm -hmm. in animation there's a new tv show Ooh, what's the name of it it's about it's it's about um it's, it just started recently and it's and, and maybe you guys know it's it's about uh, like fighting elves and stuff tough fighting elves mm. and they're always cussing and mm. uh tough fighting there's, elves. there's you know a lot of 
sexual implication and so on. And I, it's, oh, a, I, I believe it's, Phil, that really sounds right up your alley. That sounds, I, I, I don't know what this is, but I automatically love it. Just based um, on that description. <laughs> keep rubbing my nose because of the pollen. That's why I'm sniffling and rubbing my nose. Oh. We're having a, a sure it is, John. Sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I may even sneeze. So be prepared uh, for that. I may have to wipe off the screen here after <laughs> I, after I react to the pollen. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, you can do most of the time, especially with television animation on the networks, you, you, have, to, you have to be kind of a little bit um, PG at most rated. And that affects what you can write. Um, sure. And also, you, it's mm, kind of adult concepts, just, just even intellectually adult concepts seem harder to get across in, in a lot of television animation, in my experience, not counting something like Adult Swim. I just mean their animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a whole other category. That's but a I mean, whole different thing that I wrote, which is like, <laughs> you know, uh, I wrote, I wrote, uh, an Iron Man armored adventure says aimed at teenagers. Right. And, oh, um, so there were a lot of rules about how how uh, involved you could get in ideas because there wasn't that much time to put them across. And, and you can't have a lot of talking heads explaining right. things. So these are all considerations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of, uh, what was it? Did you just... There is a, a that Sony Marvel agreement that just got leaked where all of the uh, there's basically all these considerations that Sony must abide by in the treatment of the of Spider-Man like like Peter Parker cannot do this. He cannot do that. He cannot do this. He can yeah. do this, but only if right. he is wearing the black symbiote soup, suit. Oh, <laughs> like, well, right. You have to know that stuff. You have to, every time you have one of these jobs, whether it's a, you know, whatever you're adapting, whatever world you're adapting, you you have to know all that. I did a one short story for Dungeons and Dragons when they were doing a Dungeons and Dragons short story anthology. They sent me a pile of Dungeons and Dragons books like this, and I had to yeah. pour through them to try and get things right and get the feel right because I had never played Dungeons and Dragons anyway. And they were oh, very, wow. you know, definite about what they wanted and they all are they they yes you have to know you have to know who has what powers or and what technology is used and whether or not they're uh they may possibly be the you know the uh the unknown love child of thor or whatever <laughs> right you know you you, you got to be careful uh, of all these things and they expect you to know them so there's a learning curve for a writer for each of these projects Right. Even if you think you know it, you know, yeah. I thought I thought I knew the Alien series pretty well, um, but there was a, a lot of stuff that I, I still had to learn in order to not run afoul of these kinds of, you know, other little precepts and canonical uh, understandings. Yeah. Canon is especially nowadays with fans on the Internet. They'll let you know. <laughs> Canon yes, is wild. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's hard to escape. It's hard to escape. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, one of the things we did talk a lot about uh, when we were going through uh, Bioshock Rapture was Ayn Rand. Uh, I, I myself uh, am a uh, am a former 
uh, card carrying objectivist, uh, and then I then I I wised up uh, quite a bit. The woman was involved, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's why. That's why. This is one of the reason why we. One of the reasons why we need women. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so uh, and one of the things, and I and I kept as we were uh, reading through it and talking about it and everything like that. It just became constant moments of me going, "Okay, all right." So when Atlas shrugged, they talk about this and I feel like, (laughs) and there would be these parallels. How much experience do you yourself have with Ayn Rand's work? Did you actually read those? I read her first thing, which was the title of which I forget, which was one of her thinner books. I have not read Atlas shrugged, but I've read, I went and read um, articles that explained Mm -hmm. her ideas. (laughs) Yeah. And of course she has, and people, into that have had a, a um, sort of watershed effect on uh, aspects of our culture, our political culture, especially in recent years. Yeah. We, yeah. You know, people like Rand Paul and who's Rand Paul named after. Yeah. Right. right. So, yeah. uh, and, and his dad, um, both yeah. Ayn Randians, uh, right. yeah. and they, and they make policy to try and fit within that philosophy. Um, and the problem, of course, for me, uh, who is a person who loves nature and animals um, and, and who likes to have clean air and clean water, um, for some perverse reason, <laughs> that, the, problem, the problem for me is uh, with these philosophies is that they, uh, they don't like regulations. These, no. You know, people, uh, objectivists and, and Libertarians uh, fight regulations, and Rand Paul fights regulations, and yeah. and reg and um, until we started having environmental regulations, we we were having just catastrophic effects in our environment. Now yeah. we're still having problems, but it, some aspects are better because of the regulations we do have. I mean, of right. course, right. anything can be overregulated, and you know, in Bioshock uh, Two they kind of touch on the way you can overreach when you're trying to, to, uh, uh, socially engineer. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course you can, I mean, look at, you know, uh, look at Stalin and so on. This is, these are people in Mao, these Mao Zedong, these are people that, that they like to cite and they like to say, and so, uh, Barack Obama is just like Mao Zedong. Yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Right, buddy. What? You know, not at all. Uh, but it, there's the you know that's uh, that's like saying uh, uh, you know it's like saying the Sahara Desert is is, is just like a, a warm day in Indiana. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. It's, these are, these are extremes of you know, one not of really comparable. The other is an extreme. Okay. Yeah. And there's these and really, the uh, uh, despite what they say, um, most Democrats uh, have no real socialism about them. And, you know, and the funny thing is, a lot of people who really believe in this stuff and who are the older people all get Social Security, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. actually is kind of socialist yeah it isn't isn't some kind of crazy extreme socialism it's just government um socialism trying to help elderly people not die of starvation 
It's and, and God help you if you suggest the idea of taking it away. They'll they'll yes. They'll, uh, they'll be. Yeah, what are come you talking about? I'm getting my my grandma gets it. So all of a sudden right. they're arguing for it. You know, um, mm-hmm. and the same with Medicare. And so yep. there are there are the the most the purest uh, Ayn Randians and and uh, libertarians would would theoretically like to get rid of Social Security and Medicare. And they just say, you know, the market will fix everything. The free market fixes everything. But history hasn't shown that to be the case. No, no. No. So historically um, never the case. What what we learned from when we see these things caricatured in in Bioshock, this is my theme here, um, is that there is a sweet spot, spot between extremes. Sure. Right. And right. and the end where you can use ideas of community, strong ideas of community and and a strong respect for freedom and for enterprise too, even free enterprise, regulated free enterprise. In a, you know, but, you know, even even a football games, very competitive, have rules. Right. Yeah. It's like right. That. Exactly. So, you you know, there there's a place for for both sides in a, in a in an intelligently run society, which we may yeah. accomplish. Uh, someday, we may come up with one. Fingers um, crossed. And, and Fingers uh, crossed. we've had very little. Um, we've been had approaches to it anyway. There's 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 a place for for freedom, lots of freedom, and and lots of community, um, and and some uh, uh, basically cushions for for people when they need to to reboot their lives and start over. For example. Um, there's a place for all those things in an intelligent society. Bioshock shows us what happens when you when you uh, drop uh, one or the other uh, summarily. Yeah. Right. And things get nuts. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. A little, a little bit nutty. Now you mentioned before that you've 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 played. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077. You, you, you clearly you're a gamer. Uh, what are you working on these days? You're playing anything in particular? What game am I playing? Um, yeah. What are you playing? Uh, I was thinking of. <coughs> well, I played all the Halo games. I enjoy them. <laughs> Some more than others. I was thinking of playing um, Halo Infinite, uh, but then I read about it. And it just seemed like it might be just kind of a, a lame interstellar version of of. Uh, Oh, what's the game I'm thinking of? Where this Far Cry? Far Cry. Far- oh, Far Cry. Sorry, yeah. I'm going to turn my volume. <laughs> they, they, they like they like their drugs in Far Cry. I always thought that was right. Far Cry <laughs> one. Far Cry was always uh, it always made me think of like it was like an action game told by Hunter S. Thompson. It, yeah. it just felt very. I did write an, out a novel for that company, but for uh, something else entirely. Oh, nice. Well, that actually brings me to the next question. Uh, you know, you've you've worked on so many franchises, some really like legendary franchises. Is there one that you haven't worked on that you'd really love to try out? Well, um, man, you know, I'd I'd love to. Uh, I'd like. Well, I, I'd like to help develop a video game. Um, oh, that'd be I'd awesome like to, to develop. If there's a sequel to. Um, to the cyberpunk 2077 i would honestly like to work 
helping them develop stories just as a consultant probably yeah you know but um and i wouldn't mind writing a novel based on that because because i'm qualified certainly but also there they do give you a lot of room to uh maneuver mm -hmm. and um that would be great uh actually i i kind of enjoy that i think i wouldn't mind doing another bioshock novel maybe if they the right um, opportunity came along because there are going to be other bioshock games levine stopped developing them he has quit but um there there are going to be more games and i don't know exactly what stage they're in right um i i wouldn't mind writing another bioshock novel because uh, i have a pretty good feel for that environment and it's just so fun mm -hmm. you know yeah. characters characters like i think dr steinman yeah um, <laughs> he is such a wild you know, character such yeah. a fun <laughs> such a fun uh, character um i i really liked working with uh with that because he um uh he's insane Yes. yes. And so not a stretch for me. <laughs> and, well, no, I'm in punk rock bands, but I'm not really insane. But, um, uh, if you see me on stage, you'll think he's insane. Sure. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, in, in literature, I just find harmless ways to, to act out. Yeah. And I, and I was able to do it through J.S. Steinman. Uh, the you know the the mad plastic surgeon right right um, oh yes and the, just the whole concept of of a mad plastic surgeon I've had that idea myself in the past and I thought now is my chance to really play with that <laughs> and also there's a there's something that comes up in these uh, Bioshock games that I think I think he I'm not sure if Levine ever references or not but I think he might be having some influence from Edgar Allan Poe. And okay. Like, if you think of a s certain classic Edgar Allan Poe stories, like the Black Cat, um, yeah, and and uh, the Telltale Heart, one of the things Poe specialized in was getting really deeply into a, a mad subjectivity. You know, like you're you're really so rooted in the mind of a, a of a madman that you you can see the the madman's own personal logic. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how he's sort of trapping himself with this, with this insane logic. And you see that in characters in Bioshock when they're like getting into very extreme states or they're on drugs, you know, uh, and uh, they've been altered mechanically and they go nutty from it. And, um, and also <laughs> even Ryan, uh, gets, you know, I think he becomes a crazy eventually. Uh, oh, definitely. He gets yeah. paranoid to the extreme. Yes, he's yeah. very paranoid. And so uh, Levine explores that uh, yeah. and explored that in Steinman. And, I, and I've and i always loved Poe, and I was able to kind of uh, riff on that and, yeah. and explore that myself with, with him. And um, I got very into Ryan's character because I, I, you know, I did some research and I kind of understand how these people think uh people with that philosophy yeah i should have studied you since but i didn't know phil <laughs> uh, it's okay i would have it, it, it's i would have i would have an honest mistake when you were at, at your worst and 
<laughs> oh, if only you'd known me when I was in my twenties, John. Yeah, that's oh, the twenties. It's a very, it's a very much a young man thing for the most part, and then yeah. then people start getting oh, a little maturity, and they start thinking oh, maybe we should think about other people after all. Yeah, I I think that also the they want to get laid. Yeah, well, that that yeah, that was a big part of it. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, no, but I, I, a big thing for me is when you're when you're at that point. It's real good that objectivism is real good for people who think that they're geniuses. And I find right. that most people, the older they get, no matter how successful they are, they start to realize, oh, I might not be a genius. <laughs> and that's all very <laughs> eye of the beholder there. <laughs> yeah, because there's a certain megalomania in, yeah. in yeah. objectivism because it's the idea that the individual rules and yeah, you really see right. it in, in – uh, you know, um, John Gant, what's the name of the character? Oh, um, John Galt. Um, yeah. John, John Galt. Galt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I read at that and I read about him and, uh, yeah, both megalomaniacal people. Um, oh, look at, uh, Elon Musk. I, I think is a libertarian. I don't know if he said so or not, but I no, yeah, but he's hundred percent. Yeah. He walks yeah, and, and talks he, like and that. Particular is guy. anybody a more, of megalomaniacal than Elon Musk. I mean, he's he really wants to do any everything his way, and he'll let mm -hmm. the chips fall wherever. Like when he he sprayed thousands of satellites into the sky without really getting it cleared with all the companies, yeah. the countries of the yeah. world. Yeah, um, and he did that, and it's creating problems as people predicted it would. Um, yeah, it is. It is has some uses, of course, but a lot of technology that has uses is also problematic. It's not moderated and thought through. Us, mm -hmm. Astronomers basically and, said Elon Musk's uh, little Starlink program is messing with their yes, work. Yes, <laughs> and it's, it's messing with the night sky uh, for yeah. just the naked eye. But astronomers are really having problems with it. Yes, uh, it's getting in the way and it's creating more space junk. Uh, and which is always already a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that, and to me, Musk is not in his twenties, but he seems like in a, in a, what we used to call an arrested adolescent or a person arrested in adolescence. Yes. Uh, 100% arrested development I mean, I like, for Elon I know, Musk. I like that he <laughs> was able to get spaceships to land on their tails because I, I grew up with that golden age science fiction idea. And I, I dig that part, you know, yeah, uh, that's but a he also, you know, kind of pushed his, his cars out there um, rather hastily. And they had this thing where they catch on fire. Yeah, the the one oh, thing you don't want on. a car to picky, do. Picky, picky. <laughs> and he built a he dug that tunnel that a car can fit through. Yes. You know, because well, that's, that tunnel is kind of a good idea, but you can't like you you actually have to get permission for Just, for giant projects like that. Right. It's sort of like a Robert things. Heinlein character. Heinlein. <laughs> it really is. You know, it really is. All, he's a lot like that. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely got some Heinlein in him. No question. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. We're we're starting to wrap up here. So, John, we got to ask the important question, the big question. Tell us about your music. <laughs> um, I was in a lot of bands, and uh, <laughs> I recorded, and you know, I was in a, on a label in New York City, and I played at CBGB, and I, and then I was in after punk rock bands, I was in funk 
bands, what we called nice. uh, modern funk or sci- um, futuristic like funk. George, we called it some George Clinton kind of stuff. Uh, kind of like Talking Heads and but oh, nice. and certain things by Bowie. Mm. And, and at least in my dreams, it was like that. <laughs> um, we played in clubs around New York, and I never yeah. uh, and I never gave it up. And I always wrote songs for other people. I've written songs for uh, Blue Coop, which has people from the Alice Cooper band, and um, uh, you know, I've written a lot for the Blue Oyster Cult, uh, and I've uh, I, I write for just various little bands here and there, and and I have my own band, the Screaming Geezers, which screaminggeezers.com. You can hear Love two it. samples there, um, and we're we're going to play at, at a place called Dante's in Portland uh, pretty soon on May 29th. Uh, so I'm still doing that stuff. I'm the front man, and I opened for the Blue Oyster Cult at a big theater called the Roseland in Portland. Uh, 1,500 people packed the place, and that's awesome. Oh, wow, we we rocked it. They loved us, and. It was it was a great experience. It's well, just tell Lee the biggest place I ever played. I usually play in nightclubs. That's fantastic. All right. Well, what are you? Uh, before we let you go, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you're working on in particular right now? Well, I also I my latest thing is to write a trilogy of westerns. Um, Ooh. Oh, okay. So so maybe I should work on a Red Dead Redemption or something. But yeah. Um, That'll get you in the mood. Uh, the very least. <laughs> I have played the first one. I don't like third-person games that much, and I was able sure. to mm. switch it. You can switch it so it's first person. Yeah. Um, but uh, I played Red Dead Redemption. But this is this. I've always wanted to write westerns that had kind of a feel like um, uh, Larry McMurtry, like uh, Lonesome mm-hmm. Dove, like um, like uh, Sam Peckinpah movies, where you get these earthy feel of of the frontier and it, yeah um, and it's most combative um and so i i wrote i i wrote one called uh, wyatt in wichita about wyatt earp is a young man in wichita it's out there and i'm gonna have one called axel bust creek uh uh about uh, a mining town uh, it's coming out from uh, kensington it's, it's this company that like when you go to to supermarkets and you see the the western novels and the little slots and they in the book section of the supermarket, they do all of those. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm writing a trilogy of those. I'm hoping to make it into a, uh, the basis of a, of a movie at some point too. Oh, that's and cool. I, I've, I've written a fantasy novel called, um, uh, a sorcerer of Atlantis, uh, that is out. Um, and, uh, and I have, uh, that sorcerer of Atlantis, I'll just mention is a real sword and sorcery thing. It's like, mm, if you like Conan, it sort of like that uh, uh, but with a little more sense of humor uh, and, and also explore what atlantis might have really been like right uh, um and then there's uh the possibility of a sequel for stormland uh stormland is is my my big novel out there right now and i sure, have some scripts that are that are being submitted here and there so we'll okay. see if anything happens with those. Uh, it's a horror script based on my story, The Rubber Smile. It has to do with uh, discovering that it's that's that an, an imaginary in my book series of of uh, psycho killer movies were actually not fiction. Mm. Oh wow! 
Oh, I love it. That's cool. Yeah, I figured I figured you had some horror in you based on what I what I wrote. Well, I, I won there. the Bram Stoker Award from the horror right, writer. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you have, so that, you got some horror chops. I never never miss a chance to mention that casually. <laughs> I won the Bram Stoker Award. Uh, I wouldn't it's, for my, it's for my story collection, Black Butterflies. Yeah, yeah. I've got Butterflies. ten story collections out there. By the way, I have a new one. I have a new one that just came out uh, called The Feverish Stars. And uh, it's a mix of dark horror and dark science fiction. Cool. Love it. That's awesome. So that's, that's as plug a roller, man. I just, I just <laughs> plug the hell out of it. I just. That's great. We love it. We love plugs. <laughs> yeah, our favorites. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us, John. That really, we really appreciate this. All right. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Wow, Phil. What a conversation that we had. Well, uh, five an hour ago you're yeah yeah that was <laughs> you want me to take that one from the top or let's just keep no rolling? that was no no leave it alone god damn it leave this it alone is, fuck it we're doing it live <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect every moment of it was perfect every, kevin every don't syllable you, that came out you, of your mouth don't you don't you dare <laughs> doubt yourself no it was that was that was, was very fun uh john sir fun. he's a he's a real sweetheart uh, and and glad we got to we got to know him for that for that hour. Um, Phil, any closing thoughts before we start start plugging our socials? I, I think I need to write more. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the one thing that I've it. learned when interviewing authors. They are authors because they author. They yes <laughs> yes. Who to thunk it right? Who to thunk it? They are very intent on writing uh, yeah. things. That, that was that was possibly the most prolific plug section of any interview we've ever done. Because uh, that man works. He, that man friggin' he works. Right. Just imagine if we ever interviewed Stephen King, the his oh, plug Lord. section would last as long as the podcast. Stephen King, we're here for you, man. We're here for you, man. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. if you're interested in getting witty insights such as these in your ear bowls, balls, your ear bowls, um, you know, yeah, that, that, that magical part of the anatomy, that magical part of the anatomy where sound is received, uh, <laughs> go ahead and give us a follow, uh, follow our, yes. our podcast, give us five stars rated, just, Type up, author a little review for us. Practice your mm-hmm. writing by writing us a five star review. Yeah, that would be have fun with it. Guys. That would be Come fancy. Uh, share, share us on social media, your Twitters, your Facebooks. Uh, if you're feeling spicy, your LinkedIn's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Put us in LinkedIn. Put us Someone in LinkedIn. Do that. Why not? Just just why not? I'm sure there's a CEO, a high powered Wall Street CEO listening to us who has like a million followers because he writes LinkedIn posts one sentence at a time as you do as you do on LinkedIn Uh, exactly anyway uh, (laughs) I'm feeling punchy tonight Uh, yeah yeah that little shot in the arm little loose little loosey goosey Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pixelit Pod same as on Instagram Instagram Pixelit Pod Uh, you can find our website pixelitpod.com where we post all of our episodes and any time that we have had a guest appearance, you can find it on there as well. You can join our discord through the website, all that fun stuff. So 
Uh, yeah, that'll about do it. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.